Seth Spins contains mild adult language. The views of the members of this podcast do not reflect the views of Viking Fusion or Viking Fusion staff. Viewer discretion is advised. Hello, everyone, and uh, welcome back to Seth Spins. I believe this is episode four. Um, It's just me today, and I have a couple of things on the docket today to talk about. Um, For one, I wanted to talk about a genre of music that... I've always sort of recognized as alternative, but I believe there's actually a unique name for it called art pop, so I'm going to be talking about that today. Um, I'm going to be discussing the idea of purposefully lo-fi aesthetics versus actually having a lo-fi equipment range. Um, I'm going to be talking a little bit about voice modulation in music, specifically with the band Daft Punk, and I'm going to be talking about a couple of albums and songs that I've been listening to as of late. So to start off, I was searching through a bunch of different music, just kind of trying to figure out what to do for the podcast, and I realized that a lot of what I wanted to talk about was falling under the same genre. I wanted to talk about um, FKA Twigs and her new recent album named Magdalene. I wanted to talk about uh, Grimes' new album called Miss Anthropocene, and I wanted to talk about uh, Vectroid's new single and... uh, it's called Sick and Panic, I believe, and if you don't know who Vectroid is, it actually is the name of the producer who used to go under the name Macintosh Plus, so that whole vaporwave movement started with that specific artist. Um, but all of these different artists uh, apparently fall under this sort of subcategory known as art pop, and uh, the term was sort of popularized back when Lady Gaga dropped the album of the same name back in, I believe, 2013, correct me if I'm wrong. But, um, so all of these artists sort of have the same aesthetic where they aren't necessarily creating music that sounds similar to their contemporaries, rather they're creating music primarily to serve an image that they themselves are trying to give off. So a good example would be Grimes. So back in, um, 20, I believe 2012, Grimes released an album called Visions. And that album had a single called Oblivion, and it also had a single called Genesis. And those two songs blew up very quickly, sort of bringing her to the forefront of this sort of art pop music scene. And she began DJing at clubs and doing all these different things, and it sort of skyrocketed her persona to new heights. And what was interesting about her as an artist is that she did not separate her own image from her music. She doesn't go by her real name when she goes to stage shows. She always goes by her uh, stage name when she's talking about her music. So it's very interesting to see going from that album Visions in 2012 to her uh, album after that named Art Angels in 2015 going on now to her newest album this year named Miss Anthropocene. Um, she is still going down that same track. She is, I believe, slated to be on the uh, soundtrack for the new video game Cyberpunk 2077, if anyone is familiar with that. It is a very, uh, as the name implies, it's cyberpunk aesthetic, and that sort of works very well with her music. So she has this very technological bend to her music, and uh, I believe that sort of influences her image, and then that influence goes back into her music, etc 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 so as for how that relates to art pop it showcases how as an artist her music and her image coalesce to create that sort of bend to her genre 
So she wouldn't be an artist that falls under the art pop genre if she did not have that aesthetic that serviced both her music and her image. Um, another good example would be someone like FKA Twigs. So back in 2011, she released an album named LP1, which was primarily produced by someone named Arca. And that album had a single called Two Weeks, and it blew up very quickly. And she had not actually released a full-length... Actually, no, I was wrong about the when that came out. It was back in 2014. But that album LP1 came out, and it immediately soared to the top of the charts. And people have been waiting for an album for years and years and years following. And she finally came out with singles, I believe... A year or two ago, um, there was a couple, I believe one was named Holy Terrain, if I'm correct. Um, there was one named like Cellophane. Um, but anyway, that album ended up coming out, I believe, the end of last year, uh, Magdalene. And it has been sort of a very interesting album rollout. Um, her music sort of has this bend of like self-reflection and... Um, not necessarily it saying a lot with a little is what I'm trying to say. So her she sort of has this avant-garde sort of R&B pop twist to her music that I don't believe I've seen any art, other artist try to pull off and it is combined with this image as an artist where she is a performer rather than an artist first and foremost. So in all of her stage shows and in all of her music videos and everything she does, she herself uh, creates dances, creates videos, all these different things that are meant to serve as part of the art. So I I know for a fact that when I watch her YouTube videos, half of the interest that comes from the music isn't even the music itself. It's the performance she puts on in the video through her staging, her directing, her uh, choreography that sort of makes that song. So by having that bend to her music, she falls into that same genre of art pop. Um, so I guess what I was trying to say with art pop is I just think it's a very interesting idea that for that genre, you have to not only serve an aesthetic for your music, but that aesthetic has to then go into your brand as an artist and then go back into your music sort of ongoing forever. Um, so I just thought that was a pretty interesting idea. And again, just some artists that sort of fall under that genre would be like vaporwave artists. I think all of them would fall under that genre because they themselves usually title their work and title their names as an artist after that subgenre. Um, Grimes, I believe, does fall under that genre. I believe FKA Twigs does fall under that genre. And I do recommend all of those artists. Um, so going on to the next thing, I wanted to talk a little bit about the idea of purposefully lo-fi aesthetics in music. So as we know, there is this tendency for artists who are coming up to purposefully record in a lo-fi sort of setting and use uh, low-fidelity equipment in order to come across as authentic. So some examples I can think of would be like, uh, and a good example would be Joji. So this uh, like, like, remember Slow Dancing in the Dark was a song that I believe came out either last year or the year before, but uh, that song was very high fidelity, but before that, a lot of his songs seemed very, very, not necessarily low quality, but intended to be recorded to come off as being sort of homegrown and not having used much expensive equipment. So the question becomes, does that purposely lo-fi aesthetic serve to the artist's benefit or to their detriment? Because I remember Joji was not very popular as a musician 
until Slow Dancing in the Dark came out. And I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, that part of that is due to the change to high fidelity sound quality and high fidelity production in that song. Um, And there's no real clear-cut answer to that either, but I do believe it serves to give us a decent question to answer. Um, Another great example would be Tyler, the Creator. For his last two albums, they have had very different um, musical motives. Uh, For the first one, he had Flower Boy, which is not necessarily a clear-cut album in any shape, form, or fashion, but it it was a very nicely produced rap album with some elements of singing towards the latter half of the album and a couple of singles that also had singing. But for the most part, you could tell it was a a rap album made by a hip-hop artist that its primary intent was to feature, you know, hip-hop, you know, and rapping. And coming out of that, he took a year-long break in 2018, came back in 2019 with an album called Igor, where he was playing a character, and it was essentially revolving around a love triangle. And that whole album is purposely recorded and produced in a very lo-fi aesthetic. And so all the songs have very blown-out bass and very fuzzy vocals. And in my opinion, that serves to the album's benefit because that album ended up doing even more well, even better critically than that last album, which also did very well. So that can just serve as another example of how it might serve to the benefit of the artist rather than to their detriment. Um, And just another one that I think is even more interesting than the other two is the idea of car seat headrests, um, twin fantasy. So back in 2011, uh, I believe his name is Will Toledo, recorded an album, I believe it's his sixth at the time, um, called Twin Fantasy. And it was very low fidelity, but it was very popular. Ended up having a lot of singles that people loved, and the entire album is beloved by a lot of people. Um... Back in, I believe, 2018, he re-recorded the entire album with better sound quality and released it as Twin Fantasy, uh, I believe, 2018. And what what is called into question is whether that was actually an upgrade or not. Because as I've seen whenever I look up those albums, there is no clear-cut answer as to which one is actually preferred by people to listen to. I have seen forum posts where people say that the authenticity of the 2011 version, the very, you know, low fidelity instrumentation serves to the album's benefit because it is designed in a way for the emotion to come out strongly through the lack of polish. Whereas I've also heard from, I believe the same forums, other users would say, that that new re-recording makes the album sound better and thus makes the music sound better in turn. So going through all these examples of Joji and Igor and Carsey Headrest's uh, Twin Fantasy, it's interesting to see how lo-fi aesthetics can influence how people perceive music and also how artists attempt to use a lack of funding as a sort of bend to their music that makes it either more or less interesting. So it's an interesting thing to look out for because I believe going into the 2020s, more people are going to try to experiment with this because I believe that artists are going to have to try to find new ways to mix up production. And one of the most interesting ways to do it is to pretend that you don't have the funds to do it. So it's something to be on the lookout for is the idea of purposely lo-fi aesthetics. And that also goes back into art pop because there are definitely artists where their entire, you know, 
artistic vision comes from their low fidelity look and that would go back into the idea that as an artist your music is serving to look into your image um just a little aside that i wanted to mention on the podcast was the idea of voice modulation and the idea of say auto-tune in music so some great example a great example would be daft punk so uh a great album back in i want to say 2001 is Discovery by Daft Punk, and it uh, has a lot of singles that are very, very, very popular and have been uh, sampled many times over by other artists. So a great example would be Harder, Better, Faster, Stronger, a song that I believe everybody has heard at least 30 times in their life, Um, and that has immediately been sampled by, say, Kanye West like 10 years later. So it's interesting to see how that song got sampled, but how do people feel about artists not necessarily using their own voice unadulterated in their music for example i don't think i've heard a daft punk song where they actually sang the music with their own voice and i don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because i think it serves to make their artistic image stronger because if you look at all of their branding and all of their advertising they present themselves in these robotic helmets uh, both of the artists in that group and they are sort of designed so that you may, you are to think that they are robots and that robots are creating this music. So when they use these auto-tune, this auto-tune and this voice modulation, it makes their music almost sound more authentic because it's serving their image. So I believe back in 2013, they came out with their, light, their latest album called Random Access Memories. And don't get me wrong, it's still absolutely designed to sound like it was made by a robot, but... It was interesting to see how they still used, I believe, even more voice modulation in all of their singing and all of their features singing, while simultaneously referring back to live instrumentation for the first time. So back in 2013, they released Random Access Memories, and they had like Get Lucky as a huge single, and there were all these guitars that went into the music. Back in 2013 when they released it, they had a single called Instant Crush, where Julian Casablancas sang over a very guitar-heavy beat. Um, But that would have never happened back in 2001. All of those beats were almost 100% made on a computer. I believe I remember one instance of a French horn, and that was about it. So it was interesting to see how they continued to keep their brand of voice modulation inside their music while simultaneously referring to live instrumentation. And I'm not sure if that serves to better or worsen their image as robots making music, but it was a very interesting shift, and I wonder what they're going to do going forward with that. So, if voice modulation can serve to make someone's music better, the discussion becomes if auto-tune is necessarily always a bad thing. If you ask me, I don't think auto-tune is always a bad thing. I understand the idea that in live music you could see it as a crutch for someone who is unable to hold a tune, but on the same, you know, on the same idea, if you're singing with auto-tune, it's just another example of artistic intent and artistic vision that one can use to make their music more interesting or more uh, pleasing to the listener's ear. So if you want my opinion on what I think about auto-tune, I think in cases where the artist is molded by the idea of auto-tune, it is fine to use in live shows and in studio-produced albums. So a great example would be like, I would say Travis Scott can use auto-tune and not get yelled at, because in his music, 
half of the idea of his image is coming from the idea that he is an auto-tuned artist and everyone knows he's an auto-tuned artist and he's not trying to look like he's not an auto-tuned artist whereas let's say and this is a hypothetical i'm not saying she actually does but let's say mariah carey came out and said that she used auto-tune when she hit the highest note that she had ever hit it would worsen her image as an artist because she presents herself as someone who is able to carry that note and i do believe she can again this is just an aside but so in my opinion in that case it would be okay to use in a studio produced album but i would not say that it would be okay to be using in live concert because you're attempting to demonstrate your ability to hit these notes so anybody whose entire image is built around the notes they can hit uh, for example like mariah carey ariana grande the weekend anyone whose register is very high they need to be able to actually hit that note if that's how they're presenting themselves Otherwise, I feel like it would worsen their image as an artist. So I guess, in general, if it worsens their image as an artist and how they present themselves, then I don't think it's okay. But in general, I think it can be a very useful tool that can make people's music more interesting. Um, and I wanted to talk about a couple of albums today that I just have been listening to. Uh, a few of them just came out, like, uh, or actually one of them just came out, I believe, like, yesterday or the day before. So it's more of a recommendation based off of the fact that I think it's interesting. Uh, I haven't necessarily listened to it all the way through. Uh, but the others have been around for a long time. So one that I wanted to talk about is um, FKA Twigs Magdalene. So as I mentioned before, FKA Twigs is sort of a pop R&B avant-garde artist that has elements of hip-hop, a little bit of trip-hop, a little bit of... I would say soul influence, and um, I'm recommending her latest album, Magdalene, because I believe that its stripped-back instrumentation is very, very pretty to listen to, and I think a lot of people would end up enjoying it. Um, and the song I'm going to recommend off of that album is named Sad Day. Um, for the next one, I wanted to recommend, not necessarily just the album, but an artist in general, um, Beach Bunny. So this artist just came out with an album, I believe two or three days ago, named Honeymoon. It's their first debut album. They are a punk pop, I believe, trio that um, just makes really catchy music, and I can't really find any problems with it. It's just really fun music to listen to, and I just wanted to go ahead and recommend it. I don't necessarily have a song that I recommend, but I do recommend just sort of tuning into their first album, Honeymoon, and seeing if you enjoy it, because I know a lot of people would end up appreciating what they're doing. Um, and, album, and a couple of albums I've been listening to uh, have been from the late 90s, because I've just had this little bit of like an alternative 90s kick lately. Um, so one of them is from the band Refused, with The Shape of Punk to Come. So this is a an album, I believe, from 1998, um, and it's playing off of the... Uh, an older album cover from a jazz album. I believe it's called The Shape of Jazz to Come. Uh, I might be wrong on that, so I'd have to check. But um, it is essentially an attempt with the album cover to say that punk is dying and that they needed to shift the focuses of punk to save the genre. And the music is very, very forward-thinking for the time. And what's most impressive about it is that while all the songs are catchy, it's the fact that the music does not sound dated whatsoever. This album was recorded, I believe, 22 or 23 years ago now, and it sounds like it could have come out yesterday for the genre. So I do recommend that album a lot. And um, two songs that I want to recommend are New Noise and Liberation Frequency. 
Um, so that one's a really interesting one to look into if you appreciate punk music with like heavier vocals. Um, and then the last album I wanted to talk about is uh, from this lesser known artist named Hum, H-U-M, uh, with their album Downward is Heavenward. Um, it's a very, it's a similar to Refused in that it is a little bit punky, a little bit more out there, but it's a little bit more of like a regular rock type outfit from the 90s. Uh, definitely has a little bit more of a 90s uh, twinge to it, if I say so myself. Um, and I just think it's really well-crafted music. I believe it's a little bit underappreciated. I've looked into it a little bit, but I finally dug into it a couple of days ago, and I realized how good the songwriting and instrumentation was, and I ended up really appreciating it, and I've been listening to it a lot more. Um, I actually ordered the record myself, I believe, yesterday. Um, but I wanted to go ahead and recommend a song from a songwriting perspective. It's near the back end of the album, named Apollo. And I just think it's a really, really well-made message. Um, and it uses great examples of metaphor to denote, I, I believe, ideas about love. So it's a really incredible song to listen to, and I highly recommend it. So that, those are just my recommendations. And that's all I actually have on the docket for today. So sorry if this is a shorter episode, but I just wanted to get some thoughts out there and... Uh, Oh, and aside, uh, I'm still working on the playlist, and all of the things I talk about, I'm going to attempt to include into that playlist. Uh, I have a Spotify link available, and I'm going to be working on getting an Apple Music one available too, so be on the lookout for that when it comes. Um, but that's pretty much all I have today. Um, I appreciate anyone listening, and uh, thank you for listening to Seth Spins, and I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you.